As they roll out, uh, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse uh, 14. That's where we're going to be uh, in this evening, Matthew 9, 14 to 17. And as you turn there, here's what I was processing uh, through, even when we did uh, pre-service. And it's basically songs that we sing like we opened up with, stating, Lord, worthy is your name, worthy is your name, worthy is your name. And in my life, I've been finding and asking myself, do, do I sing that and live that way? Do I sing God's praises on a Saturday, but then my life exemplify that that's the same exact praise I'm bringing before God and we do corporately? I think a lot of times we can get trapped in the in the moment trapped in that's such a good beat, there's such a good rhythm, there's such a good poetic form to it, but it's really not resonating throughout, saturating our lives so that that's what we exemplify in life. That's okay because of God's mercy. But even in that, I think he's calling us to more. There's an excellent uh, life. There's, there's, there's something about this faith that, that draws us to live well, to live for more. And so as we read Matthew 9, 14 to 17, this, this is where we're, we're going. Living well and what that means. We've gotten to the habit of weekly telling you of three three. Uh, cohesive themes presented by Matthew. The first one is Jesus is Lord. Second is Jesus is the answer. And third, that Jesus reigns out of an upside down kingdom. Not that it's backwards, but because we are backwards and don't see things like he sees, it seems upside down. But the reality is that his kingdom is right side up. But in our view, it seems upside down, so that's a theme that we'll keep. Jesus reigns out of this upside-down kingdom as we view things from this side of eternity. And so as we continue in chapter 9, we're going to see these themes presented, but Jesus is going to press into them a little more. He's confronted by the disciples, and I hope that this evening you, you and I will be pressed into it as he reveals these themes for our present day. Now here's one clarifier, all right? When Matthew writes about Jesus as Lord, or that, um, that, that first point, that first theme that we're being presented. He's not presenting Jesus as just a landowner or a landlord, right? He is presenting Jesus as a king. As a king. And I know in our American context, we don't always understand a monarchy, and a kingdom and what that means. So sometimes we get a little confused and so we use words as Lord or other or rulers, right, or supreme, we reign supreme. But Matthew wants us to understand that there is a king here and that Jesus has a kingdom. And so with that understanding is where I'm gonna be leading from today. And so because God has become a king, we can and we should live well and die well. More on that next week. Living well, this is what I mean. Living well means that we live as kingdom people by kingdom principles with kingdom simplicity. 
It's turning away from and letting go of what we know or think we know so that we can embrace the kingdom of heaven in childlike humility and dependence. But we've got to grasp this. We've got to understand what this, that we are kingdom people and what that means. Honestly, we just have to believe it. Especially when the, when the scriptures say that you're a chosen people, a royal pre, uh, a people, a royal priesthood. Do we believe that? Let me connect this to two other passages in Matthew before jumping into uh, chapter 9, verse 14. Matthew said in the beginning of his, of his letter in chapter 4, verse 17, he says this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent. Let go and turn, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Then he says this later in his book, in chapter 18, verse 2. He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little children, humble and dependent, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a strong word. As we saw last week in verses 9 through 13, Rob preached through the calling of Levi or the calling of Matthew by Christ. And Matthew left everything. We're told that Matthew left the prestige, security, he left wealth, he left his position, his job, everything to follow Jesus. He left his identity, his practices, even his religious practices had to be relinquished so that he could grasp a greater understanding and embrace what God had in store. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And I love that we get uh, to see what he did because it allowed him and then it allows us and leaves us with the example of living well. He turned away from and let go of what he knew to embrace the kingdom of heaven in childlike humility and dependence. If you know in the areas that I've been able, uh, able to serve, privileged to serve, honored to serve, I've seen this played out in the lives of asylum seekers at the southern border. I've read of this mindset and this spirit in the stories and the reports coming out of the refugee camps in Uganda of which I hope to be able to visit one day. But I've also experienced this shift in my faith. But I had to release and let go of the idol of what will people think if I follow Jesus this closely. It's not easy. There's definitely been some areas where it was easier to release and there's definitely been some other areas where, like, it was hard to stomach. But I had to ask myself, am I counting the cost? But let's jump in. Let's see what Jesus has in store for us on living well. Matthew 9, 14 to 17. It says this, then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast. In verse 15, Jesus answered them, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, then they will fast. 
No one sews a, a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worst. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This is the third group of religious leaders to confront Jesus on some controversy, all right? They're always coming at him. So if you remember, we had the teachers of the law with the paralyzed man. And then we had the Pharisees with Matthew's dinner party. And so now what we're getting is John's disciples and fasting. And I love it. I love and appreciate how Jesus meets their confrontation with a question, and he answers it with a bachelor party answer. Huh? Like he gives a wedding illustration. So verse 14 again. John's disciples came and asked them, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said, well, how can the guests of the groom mourn while he is with them? It's like, what? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, then they will fast. Here's the deal. A teacher of that time would have told their disciples to fast, so much so that the disciples were actually fasting multiple times a week. Some would say at minimum twice a week. So John's disciples said, we and the Pharisees fast often. That's the clincher. Fast often. We're doing it a lot. And Jesus, as a religious teacher, a, a person gaining disciples, right, and claiming to be God, he seems to eat with anyone, eat just about anything, and hang out with anyone. Which to the other religious leaders of the day, it just didn't make sense. And even more so, it seems Jesus didn't command fasting nor hold it as a standard for his disciples. Otherwise, why the fuss? I'll expound on that more in a bit. Here's the issue at hand. It isn't truly about fasting or not fasting. It's about religious practices masking themselves as spiritual disciplines that bind people to personal standards, not the standards of kingdom principles or kingdom simplicity. It's about having an out, outlook on life. It's about reading the scriptures and, and making up this rule and saying, well, this is what I'm following, so you have to follow it too. But it really didn't stem from how Jesus is calling us to live. Personal story, I remember leaving, and like I, I left my wild 18 years, right? Thought I was the coolest kid on the block. Finally submitted to the Lord's calling on my life. I'm here at a campfire service at a Bible college, and I was like, I know this is what God's calling me to do. And so, like, I laid it all out on the line, okay? 18 years old, scared out of my mind. But I'm like, oh, Jesus called me to go to Bible college. I don't know what this means, but that's what I'm doing. Like, my mom's crying. People are crying. There's like 100 people there at campfire, right? Just laid it out there. And then at the end I said, so I'm leaving it all, and I'm, I'm going to apply to Bible college for this coming fall. And I kid you not, as soon as I was done, leader comes up to the microphone, and he says, well, 
I guess the first thing you're going to do is take out your earrings. I was like, well, first of all, like my four foot eleven Puerto Rican mom was about to fight the dude, but I was like, <laughs> chill, mom. But secondly, like, bro, like I just gave you my heart, and you're telling me I gotta remove earrings to come to Bible college? Binding people to personal standards and pretending like that's godliness. That's what Christ is fighting here. See, fasting when taken on by an individual is about dying to self, to be aligned with God in humble dependence, thus living well. And so John's disciples are so caught up in doing the right practices from a pious standpoint that they totally miss, one, the reason for such a discipline in the first place, but then two, the person that this uh, discipline should alert them to, which was Jesus, who's standing right in front of them. And so Jesus' illustration, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus is saying, one, don't be rude. Like, don't, straight up, don't be rude. Two, read the room. If and when you are at a bachelor party or a wedding feast or a vacation, which in those days, their wedding feast lasted a week long, a person wouldn't fast. They would eat, they would drink, they would join, they would enjoy the festivities, right? And so Jesus is the bridegroom and his disciples are enjoying their time with him. So again, don't be rude. It's not the time or the place. We're all welcome to join in the celebration, but we must be willing to let go of our false spirituality, the false pretense of discipline and holiness when Jesus is calling us to freedom and grace. So back to John's disciples. It's interesting that they watched so scrupulously at their life that they noticed, wow, these guys don't stop. Again, they eat with anybody. They eat just about anything. And what I'm thinking is that this proves that only Jesus fully satisfies and fulfills. Because they're on the outside looking into kingdom interactions. I imagine they're like hungry, hangry with like stomach grumblings. Like, I kind of want that. But also it, it shows an issue of pride. Because they're like, I mean, this is what we do as spiritual persons. Why doesn't your spiritual leader have your you know, disciples kind of do the same? Like, what's going on here? But again, unfortunately, they're, they're holding on so tight to what they know or what they think they know that they're missing out on what God has for them. They're missing out on the new things that God is doing in their lives and in their lives of, their, of those in their community. And I'm done, and I love how Rob is trying to build Hope Church because I don't want to be so caught up in the, like, check off every single box live, a list or appeasing every person that I miss out on God's beauty and adventure and freedom. I remember those days. 
I remember that during Bible college, I would go to church. I would be visiting churches, and I would, like, think lower of people because I was so self-righteous. Like, why or how don't you know this, dude, when I just learned it last week? I would sit in Sunday school classes, and I'm like, what's going on here? Insert the blank, as if I knew it all before I went to Bible college. Like, something was missing. One of the best things for me, and I, honestly it was by God's design, is that after graduating uh, Bible college, I was able to go work in food service. I say food service. It's not really that fancy. It was a Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru. <laughs> but, like, I mean, you meet some people, okay? And it was great because God was like, okay, Mr. Know-it-all. Let's see you put all that knowledge into the context of everyday peopling. What does it mean to interact with others? Figure it out, Mr. Know-it-all. Again, Jesus wants to set us free and has set us free from the rules and laws and makes us servants to himself, which is the law of love. And so Jesus' statement is one of freedom and not a command. Jesus leaves some matters, particularly here. Listen to this. Jesus leaves some matters to the conscience of his disciples. What? Because it allows us to draw in near the Lord and say, Jesus, I see this. Like, how can I make it work? Not, well, I got this figured out. And so we see this, especially in the context of eating, drinking, fasting. We see it expounded by Paul in Romans 14, Colossians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 8, and, and chapter 9. Let me, I want to read a portion of, of Romans 14. Romans 14, starting in verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand and fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Verse 5, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Trust me, we wrestled with this when it was like, I hope church is going to meet on Saturday night. Ugh! People freaked out. Verse 6, whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. 
So last note on fasting. If we abstain from food and drink, we abstain in freedom. If we partake in food and drink, we partake in freedom. But we do this always looking to honor one another and bring glory to God. So do not abuse his grace. Let us not abuse the freedom. As kingdom people, we embrace the kingdom principles of love and community with kingdom simplicity, freedom, and grace. Let's jump back into the passage. Last two verses. No one sews a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Nor do, they, do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. I love that in these two verses, I was reading quite a few commentaries, and honestly, these two verses have layers of diverse interpretation and meaning, even within the context of this passage. But this, this is the direction that I've landed, that to be in Jesus and to have Jesus change us means that what once defined us has been replaced because we are a new creation if you're found in Christ. And our identity, your identity is now defined by Jesus. What is true of him is true of you and so there's no need to add anything else. Enjoy him and enjoy life to the glory of God. I think too many Christians walk around with like sour faces and the world's like, why would I want that? God is doing a new thing and he will complete his new work. He is building a new family of diverse backgrounds and understanding what was once held onto or done is no longer what is done now. Tradition will not replace what Jesus has accomplished and what he is doing. New wine deserves new wineskins, new containers. What God wants to do here in Somerville and in Charleston or Berkeley or Dorchester County or in South Carolina or in America, he's going to also do in the refugee camps of Uganda because he is pulling a new kingdom. It's about a global kingdom. So if at some point something sees awry, seems awry, it's not that we got it right and they got it wrong. No, we've got to commit that to the foot of the cross and say, Christ, am I seeing this in the right way? Or am I just following suit because everybody else does so? God is doing a new thing. An Old Testament verse and a New Testament verse. Isaiah 43. 
Verse 18, it says this, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? God is asking, you can't see what I'm doing? New Testament, we love Revelation, right? The future, it's over there. No, no, this is like today context. Revelation 21.5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It's not something distant and some thousands or millennia down the road. No, it's now. I'm making something new. Like I'm knitting and sewing and creating this thing now. I'm weaving a fabric of humanity and a new people and a kingdom now. What are we letting go so that we can perceive it? Now. Jesus never said he was throwing everything out. Actually, we read verse 17. What did he say in verse 17? He wants to preserve both. But he does so within the context and understanding of where his heart is and what is necessary, again, to accomplish the work of building his kingdom. So how do we go to Christ and say, Jesus, what do I need to let go? Lord, what can I sift away so that I can grasp you better? So that I can love others better? I'm reminded of Christ's Sermon on the Mount and asking questions in my own life. Literally, these are the questions I ask, whether it's I'm serving at the southern border, whether it's how I'm voting, whether it's what I'm eating, whether it's where I'm hanging out, the conversations I'm having, whatever. I still got my earrings. These are my questions. What am I doing and how am I thinking that reflects what Jesus did and how he thought? Try, try to keep it simple. What am I doing and how am I thinking that reflects what Jesus did and how he thought so that I can walk in it? It's, it's going to get scary. It's going to get a little crazy. It's going to be like, whoa, what is this? But hold on to Christ. Try not to appease others. Community, friends, family. It's Jesus and Jesus only. There will be frustration, I'm telling you now. There will be misunderstanding, I'm telling you now. But there will be blessings. And you will see and perceive what God is doing in a manifold beauty and wonder that you have never seen before. Matthew 5, 1, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pastor Rich Velota says this, those who are poor in spirit have nothing to prove. Those who are poor in spirit have nothing to protect. 
Those who are poor in spirit have nothing to possess. And Jesus says the kingdom belongs to these kind of people. People free enough for God to receive the abundance of God's life. Free enough so that they can just say, Lord, let's do this. Lord, you got this. Lord, Lord, what are you doing? I, I want to know what you're doing. How, like, how can I support you in this? How can I honor you in this? How can I glorify you in this? How can I fight well for someone else? How could I take the hit for someone else? Hopefully you got this card. Just, again, things that I've been processing in my life. The front is some takeaways. I'll read through these. I'm not going to go through the reflections on the back. These are for you. This, this is where you get to have the conversation of like, Lord, I don't get that. I, I don't know what to do with this here. I see what society is saying and I see what the world is doing and where they're going. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to stay put until I can figure it out with you and then move in. And then speak in. And then love properly. Reflections for you. And then you get to take it to community group. But here's the takeaways. Jesus as king leads us into freedom and grace. It's a new glory. Jesus as the answer tells us we are bound to the perception of others. The powers of this present age and personal security as saviors. So we must turn to him in everything and be set free. Too many people, too much of society, too much of the world, too much of even the church has a grip on your life. And it has nothing to do with Jesus. We've got to check it. Third point, Jesus' upside-down kingdom reminds us that our outlook on life and understanding of spiritual things must be rearranged and reimagined. That our engagement with his kingdom is done by a transformed mind. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, Paul tells us. It won't make sense to the kingdoms and religions of this world. It won't make sense to some other people, close people in your life. But we must engage the kingdom with a childlike humility and dependence. So we, would you just go to the cross and say, Jesus, how can I be poor in spirit? And love others with the love and the compassion and the freedom that you bring. Lord, what is this new thing that you are doing? How can I be a part? I want you to ask those questions. I'm not going to give them to you because then I'll just be going against everything I just said. Just, so process that for yourself. And it, it's baby steps. Don't, don't go making drastic changes. Right? Don't make Facebook posts about this like, just breathe through it. Breathe through it. Baby steps. Sometimes we already know, like, mm, God's been working on this. Let that go. For most of us, baby steps through this. 
Allow God to just walk with you as you process. Amen, family? I got your back. Rob's got your back. We, the, the staff, we love you. We got your back. May Jesus' will, may his kingdom come. May how he wants to present himself be manifest and reflected in us here in Somerville in freedom and grace as it is represented in heaven, in love and community. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time, for your word, for your freedom, for your grace. Lord, thank you that there's so much more to life and we understand, and we know. Father God, may you find us faithful and obedient. Yes, in everything, but Father, some of us just need to start small. Would you meet us there? Thank you for your continual faithfulness in our lives. Thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your mercy. When we mess up, and we will mess up. I will mess up. I'm going to disappoint somebody here. Thank you for the forgiveness that we get to extend to each other and that you extend to us. But Lord, let us perceive the beauty, the newness, the kingdom now that one day we will physically see as heaven and earth are united and brought together upon your return. Thank you, King Jesus. You are worthy of your name. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.